Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When it comes to eating, natural is always best, and nothing is better than growing your own food. AncientPathNaturals.com is all about sustainability, and when it comes to growing mushrooms, they are the best. With AncientPathNaturals.com, you can enjoy mushrooms cultivated at home. They make it super easy for beginners to grow their morels year after year, right in their own backyard. They offer excellent quality customer service from knowledgeable people right at their facility, and they are always happy to help customers and answer any questions you may have. These are all organic and ingredients with everything fully ready to use. There is no mixing or mess. 100% great grow guarantee. They have single, three, and five packs available. And morel patches will grow back larger every year. Visit their website right now to learn more. AncientPathNaturals.com. 40 years of mushroom cultivation. Always organic, always sustainable. Here to help your grow go great. AncientPathNaturals.com. Welcome back to the world-famous Chiggy Jaguar Radio Broadcast. Coast to coast and border to border on iHeartRadio. Also, AMFM247.com. Tune in, iTunes, Radio Loyalty. We have got a brand new marketing partner with us today, Transmedia Worldwide. Protect yourselves and your loved ones now with the breezy mask. Uh, That's right. It's a reusable N95 mask with an active carbon filter that allows you to breathe in cool and clean air while letting out hot air and moisture. Over 50% now on Indiegogo. Just look up Breezy. That's B-R-E-A-Z-Y Breezy Mask. Or go to BreezyMask.com. Free expedited shipping due to the current circumstances. Don't wait! Limited quantities are available. Go over to BreezyMask.com. That's BreezyMask.com. Or for the people in the cheap seats in the back, that's B-R-E-A-Z-Y mask.com. And tell them you heard about it here, Transmedia Worldwide. Brand new marketing partner with us today, Transmedia Worldwide. We have got a fantastic new YouTube channel we need you to check out today. These folks absolutely amazing. Check out YouTube.com slash Buzz Weekly. Uh, that's right. They'll give you the latest buzz on everything in the world. Check out YouTube.com slash Buzz Weekly and tell them you heard about it here. Transmedia Worldwide. Check it out today. Buzz Weekly on YouTube. On our world-famous Chiggy Chegwai radio broadcast. Also, live television on Access TV. We have got a brand-new marketing partner we want to tell you about today here at Transmedia Worldwide. It is an absolutely absolutely amazing marketing campaign we need you to help out these folks today as you see on your screen check out this incredible incredible project we need to help this gentleman fight cancer for the very second time by donating any amount whatever amount you feel comfortable in giving he needs blood he needs a marrow transplant for recovery which will cost him 55 plus thousand dollars As a poor person, he's not able to spend that. So please give him a life. Let's stop his two-year-old child from becoming an orphan. Go over to donateme.info. Do it right now. 
and tell them you heard about it here. Transmedia World Wide. Donate right now at donateme.info. Oh, and also AMFM247.com, as well as uh, 50 plus AMFM stations across the country and around the world. And we have a fantastic guest with us today. Uh, but before we do that, I want to uh, congratulate uh, everybody for uh, staying home and uh, <laughs> making this whole thing work, I guess. If it, if it is working, I don't know. Uh, we'll find out that from the doctor today. Also uh, joining us on the old skype rooney is uh, my co-host for the day, Mr. John Mosier. John, how are you, sir? I am great. And uh, we have got a fantastic guest with us today. In a war on COVID-19, doctors need freedom to use, quote-unquote, the weapons at hand. And we have a fantastic guest with us today. Now, doctor, um, I know I'm going to butcher your last name, so I'm going to let you do your own introduction. It's Dr. Vliet, James and John. Glad to be with you. Likewise. It rhymes with fleet. (laughs) That's awesome. Oh, okay. So, uh, nice and easy. so, so doctor, talk to us a little bit about, uh, your background, first of all, before we get into the topic here. Well, I'm an independent physician in private practice in preventive medicine, and I have offices and see patients in Tucson, Arizona, and Dallas, Texas. The, I have served on several medical school faculties in the past, but I am focused on outpatient patient care now for people with complicated um, preventive medicine, endocrine issues as it relates to transitions from puberty to late life and what happens to our endocrine system and our aging process and our health risk and coupling that with wellness lifestyles and how we put all the pieces together for each patient. It's been a wonderful career. I've been in medicine for now. 35 years private practice. Fantastic. So, and I've been teaching from all over the country, so I have a good perspective on what people are dealing with in other states, as well as seeing people from overseas. And I've done some work in South America and regularly attend conferences in northern Italy, actually. Every couple of years is our world conference in my field. So, have a, a really interesting perspective on some of the things going on in Italy compared to the U.S. with the coronavirus. So happy to talk with you about whatever you'd like to talk about today. Well, uh, Doctor, let, let, let's start there. What, what, what do you think about all the... Uh, I want to I know your thoughts as a medical professional, your thoughts on this uh, social distancing thing. Because when I was growing up, I was always told by medical professionals and and people that you know i was supposed to trust that uh, the only way to get over something like this was to do like a herd immunity uh you needed to make sure everybody got it and if everybody got it it wouldn't be that big of a deal much like the common cold things of that nature however it chicken pox however um (laughs) this time this has been this whole thing of oh my god Everybody go hide indoors because at some point this will all go away and we can all come back outside and it'll be gone and nobody will get it and that'll be the end of it. What, it, well, what, what is your approach there, on there's this? A, there's a balance here of, of why that's important. 
the, you're correct that if more people get minimal exposures and don't get sick or get mildly sick and then develop immunity, that we do develop herd immunity, which is important, and we need, we need that. But in this situation, remember, we have to go back to January and early February. We did not get accurate information from China about the human-to-human transmission, and we did not get accurate data about how lethal, potentially, this virus was, and it is a new virus, so we didn't have experience with it. And then the next thing that happened was we had people putting into the databases at the Center for Evidence-Based Medicine in Oxford, England, and they were creating these models of what the projections might be as to how serious it was. They had flawed information because of China's lies, basically, and cover-ups. So they had flawed information. They put in assumptions in the model that turned out not to be correct, but scared everybody, scared all the world leaders, actually, when they were projecting one to two million deaths in the United States and these horrific numbers for other countries. Everyone really was operating on those assumptions. Well, you know, when you put in computer modeling, garbage in, garbage out, at the time, we didn't have a lot of accurate information. So the social distancing recommendations were put in place because we simply did not have good information. president made a decision to try and save as many lives as possible and keeping people from spreading it because it was obvious that WHO lied and China lied about human-to-human transmission. I mean, the countries were seeing it spread human-to-human. There was no question that they were lying. And so when Italy was having so many problems, and remember, northern Italy, your listeners may not know, but northern Italy has a large percentage of Chinese immigrants. It's as many as 3 to 4% of the entire population. Roughly half a million Chinese live in that um, area around Milan and work in the leather factories, and they're going back and forth direct flights from Milan to Wuhan, China, all the time, and and other places in China. So a lot of the Chinese people living in northern Italy went home to China for the Chinese New Year in December and January and were coming back into Italy. Italy didn't shut down the flights. Italy wasn't given accurate information. Italy is a country with socialized medicine. I've seen their hospitals. Uh, most Americans would be shocked at the quality of the hospitals, even though Italy's considered a first world country. Their medical infrastructure is nowhere near as good as ours. They have... Uh, uh, I think it was a, they have nine ICU beds per 100,000 people, and the U.S. has 134 per 100,000 people. Um, I, I mean, they're, that's a ballpark figure, but my point is they just simply don't have number of hospital beds, number of doctors and nurses. They have long waits for medical care. They don't have the equipment level of sophistication we do. They don't have the supplies we do. So Italy was hit, and they were having people coming back and forth from China constantly into late February, actually, before the Italian government finally shut down the flights. So they were, and they were just decimated, as everyone now knows, they were decimated by this virus, plus the fact that the Italian government did not issue guidelines to use hydroxychloroquine early 
to help reduce the spread. That's when it works the best, according to all the countries that are using it successfully. And what we could have been doing had the governors and medical boards not intervened with emergency orders that restricted it in the outpatient setting it, waiting until saying it could only be used when people were in the hospital. So our model was more like Italy's, and we found higher deaths as a result. And Italy, once Italy changed their model and began, the government intervened and said that doctors could begin to use it for outpatients, hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin combination. Then we began seeing Italy's curve begin to come downward, combination of social distancing, people at home on lockdown, and the medication being used as it was already in India and Brazil and France and Israel, for example. So we, we had to do, I, I think there's no question that President Trump saved lives with two urgently needed interventions. One, stopping the flights from certain cities in China, January 31st, and issuing the stay-at-home emergency orders to try and mitigate the spread. I think those were clearly life-saving with this virus at the time we had the information we did. Now we're at a point where we have more data that's real and that we the new computer models coming out of Oxford Center are showing much lower death rates. And as we test more people and find out more people have mild disease, then what we are realizing is that the death rate compared to the number infected is not as bad as we had originally thought it was. I mean, you were hearing horrific numbers at the beginning because we didn't have adequate tests. The CDC screwed up some of the tests. We got faulty test kits. Then we had to get through all the FDA roadblocks to get new tests approved. I mean, we were we had bureaucratic obstacles to the testing that go back to uh, Democrat President Franklin Delano Roosevelt at World War II. The <laughs> FDA regulations have been very difficult yes. to get new tests approved, new devices approved, new medications approved. So that's not President Trump's fault. That's long-standing problem in the U.S. And I and think, I mean, and and Doctor, that that's kind of what I think is that people miss that is that. Uh, Everybody's using this opportunity to, well, we got to blame the Democrats, we got to blame the Republicans, we got to blame everybody. And it's like, well, yeah, you've got to blame everybody because this has been going on forever. Well, I'll give you a simple example in my field. Estrogel is a bioidentical estradiol, estrogen replacement therapy product for menopausal women. France approved it in 1974. It's bioidentical. It's it's easy to use. It's inexpensive. It's the most widely used estrogen therapy product in the world, except for the United States. It took 30 years to get that product through the FDA in the United States. We did not get it until 2004. And I've been going to medical conferences in Italy since, oh, probably 1998. And they'd had it for 20 years at that point. So that's wow. just one example. Beta blockers are another one. I mean, there are hundreds of examples of medicines that Europe has been using successfully but long before we get access to it because of the long delays. That was the issue on testing. But here's the problem. Hydroxychloroquine actually has been, was approved by the FDA in 1934 
in in the chloroquine form, the older version, the newer version that's safer and has fewer side effects is hydroxychloroquine. That was approved in 1955, and we had 5 million prescriptions in the U.S. for rheumatoid arthritis and lupus patients in the previous years before this, just per year on the average, leading up to the coronavirus. They showed 20 years ago at the NIH, the basic science, that hydroxychloroquine was effective against the SARS coronavirus, which was SARS-CoV-1. This is SARS-CoV-2, according to the official designation. And they showed 20 years ago that hydroxychloroquine blocks the virus getting into the cells and blocks the virus from replicating and facilitated zinc uptake in the cells so that the virus multiplying was stopped well it works early in the process and we've known that for a long time why it is being blocked by all these governors stepping in to practice medicine without a license and issue these restrictions (laughs) is beyond me it's unconscionable it's unheard of we've never in my medical career had governors step in and make these medical decisions and tell doctors what they can't do legally off-label prescribing if, if hydroxychloroquine is FDA-approved and has been for 65-plus years for malaria, lupus, and rheumatoid arthritis, doctors are legally allowed to prescribe any FDA-approved medicine off-label yep. for a new use if they think in their medical judgment it could help a patient and the patient wants to try it. That is totally legal. It's been done since World War II. Suddenly, this year, after the president was reviewing information from other countries about how helpful hydroxychloroquine had been to stop the illness early and get people well faster, he was seeing the data coming in from other countries, and he expressed the opinion that it offered hope. That was a reasonable, appropriate thing to say. I heard him say it. I heard the press conference. I know what he said. His words were taken out of context and distorted. And he was accused of promoting it. He did not. He gave Americans hope. It's a cheap, effective drug. It's safe. Doctors know how to use it. All these risks have been grossly exaggerated. Do you know rheumatologists, I listened to a rheumatologist who had 2,000 patients in his rheumatoid arthritis lupus practice, and he had no one get COVID out of that group because they're on a medicine that we, we know helps prevent it. And he has had he hasn't had cardiac problems in his rheumatoid arthritis patients who take it for years, who take it at higher doses than what we need to treat coronavirus. So he was saying and the rheumatology guidelines to use plaquenil or hydroxychloroquine don't even require the rheumatologist to get a baseline EKG before they prescribe it. Now they may do it if they think a patient needs to have a cardiac evaluation before taking the medicine, they will order one, but it's not a required screening test is my point. So it's been safely used. It's cheap. It's probably, you know, a month's supply as a generic drug is probably less than $10 if, if somebody went to pay cash for it. President Trump had ramped up the donations from pharmaceutical companies We had $30 million donated, 30 million doses, I'm sorry, I'm talking too fast, donated by Novartis Pharmaceutical Company. Bayer 
donated, I think it was 6 million doses. Teva in Israel, the Israel pharmaceutical company, donated 10 million doses. And they donated the medicine to the United States for treatment. Much of it's still sitting there in the national stockpile because the state medical boards and governors have issued these restrictive orders. Doctors are not allowed to use it early in the outpatient setting. It's unconscionable, and it is causing more deaths and more spread of the disease. Medically, there's no question about that because I have reviewed studies coming in, clinical outcomes, case series studies coming in from more than a dozen countries and the basic science that we've had in the literature for the last 20 years on how this medicine works. And I know that everybody else in the world that is using it, India is a great example, so is Brazil, using it early in large numbers of patients, they've been able to keep the spread down and they have much denser, uh, India has a much greater population density than we do and a less sophisticated medical infrastructure. And they have a large number of their huge cities have just grinding poverty. So India is one of the countries you would have thought would have had faster spread and more cases. And yet their statistics are not as bad as New York, for example. So, John, listen to all this. I, I notice you've been taking notes and everything. So, uh, I'm sure you've got some questions for the doctor here. I do. I've got um, two right off the bat, and I want I want to talk to one follow up on the. Um, do you, uh, one of the first questions is: Do you think the fact that they're not using it is because the FDA and big pharma doesn't want to? cure or prevent they want to just be able to treat they make more money that way and then the Absolutely second one not, is John. not I in this know. situation no not in this situation that is absolutely not the case big pharma has stepped in with life-saving donations of millions of doses free that is okay. not what's second. happening here what's happening here is something very different and i'm happy to talk about that Go ahead and ask your second question. Okay, I'll, second I'd like question is, second question. Oh, his Skype froze for a second. He'll he'll be back. Uh, <laughs> there, are is. you there? There he is. I'm here. I can hear <laughs> you good. guys. Yep. Okay, second question is, South Korea reporting reinfections? Is that a mutated sort of it? Because usually if you get one virus, you don't catch it again. You catch a different form of it, right? Or am I just a little bit off on that? Well... A little bit off, and that may be a little more complicated than we can do in this particular Sounds show. Uh, let, um, because it's a, there are a lot of factors that can affect what you just asked, and I, I, it's a little complicated for this. Let me go back to the point, because the, your first question is really critically important. It is being distorted and incorrectly reported that Big Pharma doesn't want hydroxychloroquine available. They are the ones who stepped up voluntarily with President Trump's request to ramp up production, knowing they wouldn't make a lot of money on it. Money wasn't the point. They were trying to save lives. They ramped up production, the companies that know how to make it. Some have shifted into making it. And they have donated mi literally millions of doses free of charge to help in the crisis. What is happening is two problems. 
Number one, there are organized medicine uh, approaches that are focused on their agenda, which is vaccine and this more expensive antiviral that's going to take longer to develop. And then you have a whole nother arm of the problem being the political agenda of those who want to discredit the president, keep things going, make the situation worse. And there's no question that that's happening. I watched it with the Democrat governors that came out with the most restrictive orders in the country not to use hydroxychloroquine. Andrew Cuomo in New York issued the most restrictive emergency order that doctors were not in New York State were not going to be allowed to use hydroxychloroquine unless the patient was in a hospital and on a clinical trial. Well, John, takes time to, to organize a clinical trial. Oh, yeah. And not all hospitals are equipped to do that, and we don't have time when people are dying. So his order was the most restrictive, and I want to read you something that I just got last night from a volunteer physician on the front lines in Brooklyn, New York, he said, I'm, we're, I'm caring for 400-plus patients in tents. Jesus. And that's tents, hospitals, not building hospitals. Yeah. Hydroxychloroquine, and this is a quote, wor- is working for patients, but the bad news is nurses and physicians there are getting the disease. A nurse's condition with COVID-19 has declined to the point of her being intubated and all the caregivers are alarmed by this. Physicians and nurses are not getting hydroxychloroquine as a prophylactic and patients are not getting it before they're admitted to the hospital, which is in many cases too late. Then I got a follow-up on that where the doctor talked about the fact that We give police bulletproof vests. We give soldiers bulletproof vests and other equipment they need to protect themselves. And when we are sending people into battle, we normally equip them with the tools they need. Our doctors and nurses are not getting the tools that India is giving their doctors and nurses prophylactically. India is doing one dose of hydroxychloroquine, 400 milligrams, once a week for the doctors and nurses on the front lines taking care of the coronavirus patients. If they become symptomatic, India's government medical board has issued the guidelines to convert them to a treatment protocol, which is for about 400 milligrams a day, plus the z plus zinc and vitamin C for five days of treatment. So the treatment protocol is different from the prophylactic or preventive protocol, but India is giving the doctors that. That's what we do with our troops going into malaria-prone regions. We give them hydroxychloroquine ahead of time. We're not doing it for the nurses and doctors on the front line. I just had a information from a doctor in Georgia this morning who has been desperately trying to get hydroxychloroquine available for his nursing home patients who are at high risk. And we all know the stats that many states have had nursing homes as the outbreak and the, the concentration of cases so we know they are vulnerable. He has not been able to get hydroxychloroquine for his nursing home patients due to the governor's restrictions and the state medical board telling pharmacists they cannot dispense it. He had a patient die last night because he couldn't get 
the hydroxychloroquine and the roommate of that patient is now also critically ill. We have never seen anything like this where doctors could not exercise their legal right to prescribe off-label for outpatients a medicine that's FDA approved. And the governors were restricting it to late-stage disease in the hospital. And the patients by that point are many times too sick. Some have been wow. saved, but okay, we could one have up here. started early. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then one more follow-up here, and then I'll be quiet for a while. Um, <laughs> do you um, think that some of the um, numbers that they put out there for, like, deaths are overinflated, or do you think it's pretty accurate? Because, I mean, you hear all kinds of stupid little rumors here and there that, you know, somebody could die of, you know, cardiac arrest, but if they tested positive at 19, it's the cause of death. Do you think yeah. some of those numbers are overinflated, underinflated, or in your educated opinion, what's, what's your In my educated opinion, the, the, death, the deaths from hospitals and perhaps in the outpatient setting are being overinflated for a couple of important reasons. Number one, in the hospitalized patients, we, we don't have a good way to test them to see whether they died of traditional flu or COVID-19. So there has not been, until just recently, a specific test for the COVID-19. So someone could have come in with regular flu, but we wouldn't have had a way to really know that at, you know, a month ago. So that's one of the problems. The other problem is until you do larger scale testing of outpatients, which is being ramped up to do, and remember, we had to get through the FDA regulations on new tests. So what, now that we're ramping up more, have been ramping up more testing in the last few weeks, we're beginning to see that many more people, we have new cases identified because we're testing more people. And we then find out people out in the community who have been exposed and may have mild disease or no symptoms and no disease at this point have been exposed. We're, so we're seeing more cases and then the deaths relative to the higher number of cases will, of course, be lower. But until we were able to do more testing, we really didn't have a good number of total cases to be able to calculate the deaths versus total cases. You follow the math on that? Oh, yes. Because on a, a source that I, I think was we like... Are getting, we are getting some... We're getting inflated numbers on the deaths just because of a lot of factors that are affecting that. Not that yeah. I think anyone is intentionally trying to um, put down a wrong diagnosis. Yeah. I, I think it, it's difficult to sort it out, but when it all is said and done and we have many more people tested and we have the antibody test results available, we're going to see a lot more people, I think, who've been exposed, didn't have the disease but developed antibodies, like going back to Jane's first point about the importance of herd immunity. I think we're going to see more information on that. Yeah, I was just saying at one point um, they were talking about number of cases in the state of Kansas. There was a source I was looking at and it had at one point it had like there was 4,300 in some odd cases of COVID-19, then miraculously and weirdly, it got corrected down to 1,500. So I just didn't know. That's the reason I was asking you. It's um, These were just number of cases. The 
cases of death have stayed pretty even, but they've also actually finally started to update people that have recovered, and it's way higher percentage-wise than the people that have died. I just didn't know. I wanted to ask somebody that knows it like you do. I think we're going to see a lot more on that, which will actually be relatively encouraging. As we test more people, then we, we will see that there's a, there's a lot more exposure in the population. That's going to give people more confidence in being able to go back to work, but under some of the cautionary points about hand washing and perhaps masks, depending on how closely you have to work with other people, and and getting people in areas of the country where there are not many cases, getting those areas opened first as we've been as would make common sense the hot spot areas uh, like new york city obviously are going to have a slower reopening and more restrictions because they have a more serious problem but you can't apply that in arizona besides arizona for example we're moving into the season where our temperatures are, are very high and our humidity is very low and those are not conditions that have been shown to be conducive for this virus to remain infective. It needs temperatures less than 17 degrees Celsius, according to the scientific studies I've read. That's about 65 degrees. We're already running temperatures above 80 every day, and our humidity is probably down around 10 or 15 percent, and the virus needs more humid conditions in order to be spread in the respiratory droplets and stay infective on surfaces. So you've got to look at things like temperature variables, case distribution variables, and all sorts of factors that I think the federal task force is taking into account, which is why you've heard President Trump saying that there are many states, he said just yesterday, there are about 20 states that are actually doing exceptionally well. And those are the 20 that he will focus on, was what he was suggesting, where reopening could begin sooner. And then we look at other areas. Now, as we test more people, remember, we're going to see more positive cases. That doesn't mean more sick people. There may be people who were exposed and it was mild and they're over it, which is what happens with the regular flu. Well, thank you for answering those. I appreciate that. So, so doctor, uh, do you foresee this being uh, basically a thing that every every year or every season uh, we're going to lock everything down? And oh my God, we've got a or, or do you think they're going to develop a vaccine, or do you think that it's just going to be, you know, this is the new normal? Well, I think. I think, no, James, it can't be the new normal or the country can't function. I, I mean, really, anyone who's saying that we're going to lock down the country every flu season, <laughs> I, I really I really think they live in another on another planet. That's yes. not going to be possible or feasible in the United States for us to keep an economy going and keep people employed and keep people working. Neither are, yeah. I do, I think, most Americans are going to put up with that. But I don't think it's going to be necessary because, look, I've just told you that India, much greater population density than the United States, way more people. They've been using hydroxychloroquine prophylactically and treatment. They've been very successful at that. Their case numbers are lower than ours. And we have that model. We have other countries' models. India, Brazil, I keep mentioning France, 
um, some of the others, are using old, effective, safe medications. And regardless of all of the political weaponization that we're hearing and the talking heads on the media who have no science background and no medical background, regardless of that, that's not what the science shows. It's not what other countries' experiences are. So we have that in our arsenal. They are working to develop the newer antiviral, remdesivir, if that shows promise in the clinical trials that have been ramped up quickly, then we'll have that available. There are other antivirals that other countries are working on. They're, they're working on a vaccine. Israel was fairly close to a vaccine already, faster than ever I've seen in my career. That's not yet available because it's too soon, but and it has to go through FDA approval. But by the time we have to be concerned about a fall outbreak of this virus along with the traditional flu virus we already know can kill a lot of people, then we, we are going to be much better prepared. Everyone was blindsided by this. That's what people have to keep in mind. The world was blindsided when China covered up what was happening in their country. We know now it goes back to at least November, maybe October, and China covered it up. China then lied to the World Health Organization, who covered up for them with the fact that it was there was no human-to-human transmission until every other country started experiencing it and seeing, oh, my God, people are transmitting it to each other. It is respiratory droplets. It is surfaces. The country, the world was blindsided by that. And that is, uh, the fact that we ramped up as fast as we did on this coordinated medical response that President Trump and the Corona Task Force spearheaded, literally I've never seen anything in my entire adult life or my medical career ramp up that fast with that many coordinated efforts of private industry, the federal government, FEMA, the military, everything pulling together it has truly been phenomenal, and people across this country need to be very thankful that we had a president who saw the big picture and could pull everybody in and get everybody working together regardless of what their politics were. And we still have people who are determined to politicize it and put their political agenda ahead of people's lives and livelihoods and business. And that is absolutely unconscionable, despicable, and I hope Americans will hold them accountable at the ballot box in November. Fantastic. We have got a uh, great guest with us today. The good doctor joins us here in our broadcast, and uh, you have got a uh, a heck of a background. You've also written some books. I want to talk about your books. Uh, Tell us about your latest. Well, the latest book is The Savvy Woman's Guide to a Great Sex, Strength, and Stamina, and it's about restoring testosterone and estradiol for women as they get older and go through menopause, for example, or younger women who've had damage to their ovaries. And then I have a book that came out earlier that's kind of a classic called Screaming to be Heard, Hormone Connections Women Suspect and Doctors Ignore. And that's kind of been a classic since 1994 in this field. And the other one that got a lot of attention was, It's My Ovaries, Stupid. Those are available <laughs> on my that's website. Awesome. Oh, that's you awesome. You know, that's what, doctor, that's what patients keep saying. They kept, they kept saying to me, 
I kept telling my doctor it was related to my menstrual cycle, and he just said it's stress and go see a psychiatrist. And I wanted to scream, it's my ovaries, stupid. So I made that the book title. That's the voice of patients trying to get their own body wisdom out to more doctors. And so that's why I've been going to the International World Conferences for the last 25 years, because that's where a lot of the cutting-edge research is going on in this field of how men and women have our unique hormones, testosterone for men, estrogen primarily for women, and how that affects all the organ systems and body functions, not just sexual functions or reproductive functions. So that's been my field, and that's part of the preventive medicine, and it's one of the factors that contributes to people's health risk. For example, did you know that men, as they get older, and have, or they drink too much or smoke too much marijuana, lower their testosterone, and low testosterone in men is actually very well correlated internet with all the international studies with men having a higher risk of heart disease, diabetes, metabolic syndrome, middle body, beer belly fat, and low testosterone is associated with a higher risk of prostate cancer as well, opposite of what a lot of doctors are still telling patients in the U.S. That's not what the world studies show. So I'm looking at how all of these hormonal changes related to our reproductive hormones affect all the other body systems and affect our health risk. And then I get into things like vitamins and vitamin D increases the risk of getting sick if it's low. It increases the risk of cancer if it's low. There, there are all kinds of ways that the vitamins and mineral deficiencies play a role in our health risk, too. And my approach has been to integrate all of that. The website has my earlier podcasts that are free. It has a lot of educational articles. It's vivelifecenter.com. And I have a button on the homepage for coronavirus updates with some of the new work I'm doing in this field because I spent time in South America and looking at some of the infectious disease issues and some of the medical um, quality issues where we could look at ways of delivering care for Americans who were caught in some of the rising cost after the new healthcare law went into effect in 2010. So I've actually had experience in Central and South America and looking at what what their infectious diseases are, how that was affecting us coming across the border in Arizona and Texas and spreading to the rest of the country. So it's kind of a unique background, but that's why I was in a better position to start looking into the coronavirus situation and digging into what was available in other countries as well as what we've had in the science. Awesome. <laughs> you, have, you have got some, uh, some great books here. So uh, what motivated you to write some of these books? Well, because I kept hearing from patients what was happening and, Particularly, when I was on the faculty in family medicine at Eastern Virginia Medical School in Norfolk, Virginia, at the beginning of my career, the, the family medicine residents used to send the patients to me to evaluate them because they had anxiety and mood symptoms. And then two weeks later, I'd see the patient for a consult, and they were fine. And the women would tell me, well, Dr. Bleed, I mean, I kept telling my doctor it happened every month with my menstrual cycle. And they didn't believe me. They thought it was a psychiatric problem. 
I have a, med- a background in medicine and psychiatry. So anyway, <laughs> this went on enough that I finally said, there's something to this. These patients are not lying. I mean, they're fine when I see them. That's not what a psychiatric disorder does. Major depression doesn't go away in two weeks. So I, our medical school opened the first in vitro program in the country for test tube babies. And we were the first medical school in the country that had a successful test tube baby pregnancy. And the Jones Institute opened at the time I was there. So I started using the protocols that they were using to test women's hormone pathways to see if they were healthy or not. They were using it for infertility. I started using it to apply to all of these patients who were having migraines and mood swings and pain syndromes and weight gain and food cravings, all of these kinds of problems that people were having, women were having relative to their menstrual cycle. So I started using the hormone protocols from the fertility center to evaluate all my other patients. And that's when I started putting the pieces together. Then I was recruited out to Arizona to Canyon Ranch to set up their women's health program and their bone density screening program. And I was giving seminars every week on these subjects to the guests who were coming from all over the country and all of the women were talking about these problems. And I thought, Oh my gosh, this is not just Norfolk, Virginia was not up to speed. This was the whole country. They were missing these connections and yet it was all available in the international research. And it was what I was seeing. And it was what I was finding as I measured women's hormone levels with good blood tests. And that's the standard used by the fertility centers saliva tests are not very reliable so we weren't using that but I found that this was happening to women across the country and I realized I'm only one doctor I can't see everybody I can't make a difference I need to write a book for women (laughs) to understand what's happening to their bodies and work with their doctors to get answers because there's some pretty straightforward answers out there and that's when I was led to write screaming to be heard you know it's interesting James my publisher says Lee, if you write that book with that title, doctors are not going to listen to you, and the women will love it. You need to change the title if you want the doctors to read it. And I said, look, George, I've already been giving hundreds of talks to doctor groups all over the country for the last five years. And they, I can tell their eyes glaze over. They, they think this is nuts. So I decided I needed to write for the women. I wrote it with that title, and the rest is history. And then I kept digging into more and more and things that were affecting younger women that we were ignoring. And that's when I wrote, it's my ovary stupid. That's so, awesome. Well, uh, that's the well, I, I appreciate the, uh, the time, my friend. Uh, our next guest is calling us, so we're going to get to them, but, uh, I appreciate you, uh, making time and, uh, we will definitely talk to you soon, Doctor. Before we let you go, how do we find you online and uh, pick up your books and everything else? It is vivelifecenter.com. There are books and podcasts, and there are free articles to read as well. The podcasts are free. The articles are free. The book can be purchased in our store. And we do second opinion consults by telephone for those who are having problems And then I see people in the office in Dallas or Tucson, depending upon where people are and where they want to come and how it all fits. Right now, um, under the new restrictions, we're doing 
telemedicine because the president relieved us of all of the restrictions to yeah. be able to serve patients by telemedicine during the emergency the crisis. So that's available. And Jane, thank you for having me. John, yes. thank you for your good questions. I think you all are doing a great job. Keep up the great work. I'm happy to come back anytime. Definitely. You were, uh, you were pretty damn amazing, and uh, I appreciate the time, <laughs> and we will talk to you soon. Have yourself a wonderful day, Doctor. And uh, there she goes. We're going to take a time out, and when we come back... When it comes to eating, natural is always best, and nothing is better than growing your own food. AncientPathNaturals.com is all about sustainability, and when it comes to growing mushrooms, they are the best. With AncientPathNaturals.com, you can enjoy mushrooms cultivated at home. They make it super easy for beginners to grow their morels year after year, right in their own backyard. They offer excellent quality customer service from knowledgeable people right at their facility, and they are always happy to help customers and answer any questions you may have. These are all organic and ingredients with everything fully ready to use. There is no mixing or mess. 100% great grow guarantee. They have single, three, and five packs available. And morel patches will grow back larger every year. Visit their website right now to learn more. AncientPathNaturals.com. 40 years of mushroom cultivation. Always organic, always sustainable. Here to help your grow go great. AncientPathNaturals.com. Welcome back to the world-famous Cheeky Jaguar Radio Broadcast. Coast to coast and border to border on iHeartRadio. Also, AMFM247.com. Tune in, iTunes, Radio Loyalty. We have got a brand new marketing partner with us today, Transmedia Worldwide. Protect yourselves and your loved ones now with the breezy mask. Uh, That's right. It's a reusable N95 mask with an active carbon filter that allows you to breathe in cool and clean air while letting out hot air and moisture. Over 50% now on Indiegogo. Just look up Breezy. That's B-R-E-A-Z-Y Breezy Mask. Or go to BreezyMask.com. Free expedited shipping due to the current circumstances. Don't wait! Limited qualities are available. Go over to BreezyMask.com. That's BreezyMask.com. Or for the people in the cheap seats in the back, that's B-R-E-A-Z-Y mask.com. And tell them you heard about it here, Transmedia Worldwide. Brand new marketing partner with us today, Transmedia Worldwide. We have got a fantastic new YouTube channel we need you to check out today. These folks are absolutely amazing. Check out YouTube.com slash Buzz Weekly. Uh, that's right. They'll give you the latest buzz on everything in the world. Check out YouTube.com slash Buzz Weekly and tell them you heard about it here. Transmedia Worldwide. Check it out today. Buzz Weekly on YouTube. On our world famous Chiggy Chegwai radio broadcast. Also, live television on Access TV. We have got a brand new marketing partner we want to tell you about today here at Transmedia Worldwide. It is an absolutely absolutely amazing marketing campaign we need you to help out these folks today as you see on your screen check out this incredible incredible project we need to help this gentleman fight cancer for the very second time by donating any amount whatever amount you feel comfortable in giving he needs blood he needs a marrow transplant from a cubby which will cost him 55 plus thousand dollars As a poor person, he's not able to spend that. So please give him a life. Let's stop his two-year-old 
child from becoming an orphan. Go over to donateme.info. Do it right now and tell them you heard about it here. Transmedia World Wide. Donate right now at donateme.info. We are back live here on iHeartRadio and also AMFM247.com. Tune in, iTunes, and of course Spotify today. And uh, Dr. Dennis Durrell is back with us to uh, talk with us about some of the different uh, issues regarding this uh, corona uh, situation. And um, Dennis, I guess we'll start start with this. What do you make of the the response that uh, Fauci and everybody has been giving uh, to the media and uh, and uh, updates that they have gotten with with their task force and everything? Well, you know, I think as I said before, you know, I trust Tony Fauci. Yep. Having studied infectious disease, um, very smart guy. He he's been around, and you know, he's he did a lot with Ebola, did a lot with HIV. Some people, you know, criticize him for some of that. But at the end of the day, I think what he's saying now makes sense, uh, uh, you know, and I think that what they're going to do is come out with a very nuanced way to phase individual locations, states and in and areas within states, based on certain factors, they're going to open them up using the science of how much, how prevalent the disease is, how adequate the capacity is. What is the antibody? So how many people have had it? Uh, and then what's our testing capability? And I think if you put all those things together, um, that's what Tony Fauci is saying. You know, that's going to drive the science is going to drive the change. Uh, and I think that's that's the way to go. My only comment on that is that there's a lot more to it than than the medical side. You know, m- money is important. Unemployment's important. People need to survive. And so, you know, we have to put the other socioeconomic factors in the equation, which they are doing. Uh, you know, people say money is not more important than your life. I agree. But, you know, try living without money. It's not, it's not that easy. <laughs> so I think, I think we need to do both. But I, I'm pretty pleased with where we're headed. Yeah. We have got Dr. Dennis Durrell with us today. He joins us live here in our broadcast. Uh, each and every week we, uh, we seem to be chatting with Dr. Durrell through this uh, through all this stuff. And, uh, of course, uh, he has got a fantastic book, Your Healthcare Playbook. And uh, he is a contributor to many national uh, brands as well and uh, a great radio commentator on healthcare. So... Doctor, that this whole thing seems to be uh, hemorrhaging on, I guess now uh, opening up uh, certain sections of the country. Do you think that's where we're going with this? Or yes, yeah, I think, and it makes sense. You know, uh, I use the analogy of weather. You know, if there was a storm, if there was a blizzard hitting New York and Seattle, we wouldn't close schools in Miami, right? Um, yep. It's a, it's a regional. It's a regional thing. It's a, it's a regional and local thing, and every, every state has a unique situation. They're at a different place on this, uh, and so therefore it's going to have to be state by state, and even within states, I think different regions are going to use different techniques, uh, and they're in different situations, and we can be very nuanced and smart about doing it instead of cookie cutter. Okay, here we go. And I think what Trump is saying you know, as I, as I, you know, his strategy is let the governors decide, 
And I think that's a good way to do it. I think if they got off the guardrails, though, and if they went and did something that, that didn't make sense to Tony Fauci, to, to Trump and others, then I think that's when the federal government needs to say, hey, you, you need to rethink that. But, I, you know, I think that's the way to go. And, and let states that have different beliefs about freedom, et cetera, you know, uh, and, and cautiousness. I mean, some states feel a little differently about this. So, uh, you know, and that's, that's their right to feel that way. Do you think that this uh, reopening is, is going to become some sort of, of game with the governors and uh, with Trump, or, or is that going to just be something that, that's just a, a little footnote, basically, in the news cycle? No, no. I think it, you, you've hit on a really good point. I think it's going to be an ongoing game, and it's going to be the cannon fodder for the media. Uh, so, you know, whether, you know, a state is going to open and then, you know, they're going to critic- they're going to get criticized and it depends on whether Trump was aligned with them or not or on or not. Uh, and then a state is going to wait and wait and then Trump is going to push on them and, you know, he's going to be criticized for that, too. So I think that as the governors open up, whether it's good or bad, there's going to be a lot of finger pointing. And the reason I say that is if you look at the, the inner interaction between Governor Cuomo of New York and, and Trump, you can see that when things are going south, there's, there's a lot of finger pointing. And so I think that, that that's why it's going to play out like that. So you're right. I think as this unfolds, it's just going to be in the news cycle, and there'll be a lot of uh, commentary about that. We have got Dr. Dennis Durrell with us today. He joins us live here in our broadcast, and uh, he has got a fantastic book out there, Your Healthcare Playbook. And uh, he joins us today here on our broadcast. Buy the book on Amazon. Uh, you got nothing else to do during the quarantine. You might as well get educated by uh, checking out uh, Dr. Dennis Durrell's great book. So uh, with the, the media and, and all the different folks that uh, seem to be criticizing uh, Dr. Fauci, and uh, I know that Michael Savage has uh, named uh, the 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 woman that is up there, the other doctor. He started to refer to her Dr. as the, as the scarf lady. Uh, <laughs> what do you make of the fact oh that <laughs> I just find it ridiculous? <laughs> but what uh, what do you make of some of the media? You know, Rush included that uh, they. They don't have any. Well, Savage has it, but but Rush doesn't have any medical training. Uh, is it fair for some of these commentators to be criticizing folks like Fauci and them? No, no. You know, I'm a physician, and I did a lot of training. I did extra training in infectious diseases. You know, I've been to Haiti. Uh, you know, I've had you know more than 25 years experience as a doctor. And, you know, there's a lot of science and nuance that, that if you're a layperson, you simply, as much as you read, um, you just don't have the knowledge base. And so, um, and so I don't think it's fair to criticize Tony or Dr. Burke, um, uh, Dr. Fauci. I, I don't, yeah. unless you have knowledge and the training. Now, you can criticize the way they do things. Uh, that's fine. And the way they're communicating uh, but I don't think you can really second-guess them unless you have the expertise. Now, having said that, I don't think that the final answer is just the science, because we don't have enough experience with a pandemic on this 
proportion in the United States, we really don't have that. And so, you know, the science is soft. So if Russia is, if he is saying the science isn't hard, uh, then I'm okay with that type of criticism. But I don't think the nuances of COVID and how to treat it and how to handle uh, opening a country, uh, you know, you should criticize uh, Dr. Fauci on. But I do think there's a lot more than just the science of epidemiology and the spread and the infectiousness and the testing. There's a lot more to it. And we need social scientists and economists involved in that, too. And that's what I think Trump is doing is taking a more holistic approach on when to do it. Fantastic. Dr. Dennis Durrell with us today. Uh, your healthcare playbook is the latest from him, and uh, you can buy that on Amazon. And, uh, Doctor, I appreciate you coming on and uh, giving us your uh, common sense approach to uh, this whole situation. Uh, I, I always appreciate the time, and uh, thanks for making time for us today, my friend. Anytime. Take care. Definitely. Have yourself a wonderful be day, safe. Doctor. Appreciate you it. You too. Be safe, my friend. There he goes, Dr. Dennis Durrell. And, uh... Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.